You know, whether you're leading a group of people or just working with a lot of people, one of the most frustrating things you're going to come across is how everybody acts, how they behave, how they do things. And that includes you as a leader. Like, why do you gravitate towards certain things and not others? You're good at certain things with people. You're not good at certain things. What drives your behavior and your team's behavior? And no, I'm not asking you to get a psychology degree, but once you start understanding where is the behavior coming from and why do you gravitate towards certain types of activities and not, that's when you can really unlock everybody's potential, including yours as the leader of what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you can delegate out. And once you understand the behavior behind the behavior, your leadership can really go to a whole new level once you really understand understand your team and understanding yourself so you can grow better as a leader. And we're going to get into that right now. You found the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast, where we talk about all things leadership because leadership isn't just what you do, it's who you are. So we help to make you a better leader, help keep your sanity and make your team better so you make more money. So every week we talk about a different topic that helps you do all those things. So hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Tell all your colleagues and friends and let's get a discussion going on how we can grow together as better leaders. Welcome, everybody. I hope you're having a great week so far. So today we are going to talk about the behavior behind the behavior. So get ready. Put your spidey senses to the test, because I am sure as a leader, I'm going to guess the thing that frustrates you the most about people is not really the people, but the behaviors of the people. If you could wave a magic wand, what behaviors would you get them to stop? What behaviors would you get them to start doing? So am I asking you to be the next Dr. Phil? No, no need to drop out of business school and get a psychology degree. But over a period of time, you see normal behavior patterns from those on your team. And you start to develop a mental picture or evaluation of how those people are when they need to improve. But also over time, your team members, disp dis they display behaviors you don't want or stop the team from collaborating or executing. The behavior you are seeing from your members on your team are not just behaviors that are presently in front of you. It is the behavior behind the behavior that really shows what a person is going through. So the behavior, you know, whether it's good or bad, is what you are seeing. But when the behavior is not normal for their character or certainly not helpful to the team or the company or most importantly, the customer, that underlying behavior is the true why behind their behavior. And I'm talking about all you know, why they react to problems, accept bad news, participate or collaborate on teams, handle feedback, deal with a frustrating situation with a customer and on and on and on. Where do you start to figure this out? Probably thinking, Mark, I don't have time to really understand my team. Well, what if you don't? What problem solving are you missing out on? How about just general productivity or just the ability to get things done? A bigger question is, how are you truly leading your people if you don't work toward figuring out what your team members are naturally good at? In simple terms, what makes them ticks? 
what makes them turn into someone they don't even recognize sometimes. It kind of sounds extreme. All of a sudden, they become someone else. So we talked a lot about behavior boundaries and how, as the leader, you have to protect those boundaries. We talked about that in our last podcast about setting the culture table. So you can go back and listen to um, how your culture level exceeds your execution level. So we all have to wear many hats and you know, have lots of responsibilities. Um, so why does a person excel in one area and not another. You think about all the things that you do as a leader, all the things that your team members do as team members, but yet you constantly, I mean, you think about evaluations, you know, whether you have six month evaluations, yearly evaluations, however your company breaks it down. Why, why do they gravitate towards certain types of things that just light them up and excite them? And how do you corral all that to get your team to be functional, to be productive, to get a lot of things? done. Do you have any other habits that truly drive other people mad? People chewing with their mouth open might actually make me want to give up the launch codes, but I'm just kidding. I would never give give up the launch codes, but that would be a close way of getting it. I mean, there are just some things, and I know that's extreme and it's a personal thing, not necessarily a work thing, but I uh, there's, there's certain things that your team members do that are really going to frustrate you. And you're just constantly going to question, why do they do that? How do I get them to change? So we, we see the exact same thing when the people on our team have to do parts of their job they truly don't enjoy. But now be careful here because I'm not saying they don't enjoy their job, but there are parts of their jobs they just simply don't excel at. And it not only changes them and their behaviors, but it also changes our perception of them as a leader. So in other words, like, like I, I had this discussion with somebody the other day about quiet leadership and what I call kind of noisy leadership. So, you know, we had two different people that in the same, kind of the same role, but one was very outgoing, very, you know, just, you you see those people who are just like running all over the place. They're always in a hurry. It looks like they're getting a lot of stuff done, right? And I have another leader who's an introvert and like the true definition of introvert. And she is very methodical about getting things done. She, a big planner and just really thinks things through, wants to learn about them before she starts them. And of course, the other person seems like they uh, are just all over the place and they're constantly doing things and all of that. But what is actually truly getting done in, in either of their roles? So you got to wonder what, what what are they accomplishing? And I think sometimes as leaders, we put some blinders on about are they really working or not? And just looking at personalities versus really looking at what's actually being done. So uh, that can kind of get dangerous because, you know, they aren't all of a sudden a bad employee or lazy or don't care. They just struggle in areas and the result is their behavior of it. But but here's the best part, because this is true for both good and bad behaviors. So, so often we only focus on the bad behaviors, not the good ones. We think uh, team members are tuned out when their behavior is indifferent. It's the good ones that really show where uh, people on the team should be focused on, where they excel and how you can help them excel. But remember, you want to have your focus on the behaviors you want constantly. There's something else we talked about before where you just constantly talk about what you want to see and you'll start getting more of that for sure. So there's a couple different things we're going to talk about here of different, just an overview of it. And then we're going to get into a couple of things you can do to really decipher all these things and get good at it. So before we talk about 
about good, bad, and indifferent, you know, we are not talking about the truly disruptive and unprofessional behaviors. If you have people driving drama, gossiping, lying, intentionally making others look bad so they can look good, uh, you need to get those folks off your team. Give them, you know, give them the opportunity to join the right behaviors. But if they don't, this is not what I'm talking about. You just cannot, you know, your team doesn't deserve to have those folks holding them back or holding the team back. And then think about this. How much time as a leader do you spend and so much unneeded time constantly addressing people like that instead of focusing on the members of the team that care and that are doing the right things and just they need your guidance. They, if they just had a little bit more direction, a little more feedback from you, they'd be doing even more. But constantly handling those folks who's got, they got issues and you keep allowing that. Again, not protecting those boundaries and behaviors we talked about in uh, setting the culture table. So again, you may want to go back and listen to that and get a better idea of that. So the, the, there's three main types of behaviors and they're very generic categories, but we're going to dig a lot deeper here in, in, in the coming minutes. So the three main types are good, bad, and indifferent. And there are many others, but you can easily put just about any behavior in one of those three buckets. So in the good category, the good behaviors, you know, what are we celebrating? I mean, yes, the we accomplished something or just made a situation better, but what about the win did they like? Why are they motivated and happy about the situation? What is motivating the feeling? And more important, how can you help them repeat it? So is it is it just a one-off win? Like you got a huge sale? Was it something, some, a big project that they really enjoy? Some people, believe it or not, actually enjoy public speaking. They enjoy being in front of a group and other people are absolutely terrified about it. So, you know, you got to figure out what was it that created the win? Why did they like the win? And how do you celebrate that more? How do you repeat that? And the bad, easy to just address the bad behavior, but never really focus on the why. It's just such an easy thing to, you, know, you see somebody obviously screw up or react the wrong way. It's easy just to go there. First, why is the behavior not normal? If you as a leader really set the culture boundaries, why did they violate it? And not just that they did it, but why? What is driving it? And most importantly, are you willing to accept it or do something to help them grow? Remember we said, the is the leader really in charge or the behaviors the leader allows to happen. That's what's in charge. And that's what I can have whatever title you want and even be a really great leader. But if you allow things to go on that shouldn't, that's really what's running the place, not you. Lastly, indifference. This is the camouflage where people like to hide. They think no one will notice because they're not rocking the boat. Even the introverted will at least tell you what they think. You may have to prod them a little bit, but although very quietly, but indifference, that's like, that's not caring. That's eh, something happened and they just kind of brush it off. They don't really give any feedback. You you know, you can tell they have no skin in the game where that is concerned and they're not really there to, to care one way or the other. And that's troubling because you think about what you want your teams to focus on and the, the indifference to me, at least with a bad, bad reactions, at least there's some passion behind that. But indifference, indifference scares me that people have quit and stayed, that they, they just are there for the paycheck. That's what really truly bothers me. So to truly understand your team, you need to understand them. And you might be thinking, hey, my company uh, won't spend the money to help evaluate our team. Or if you're a small business owner, maybe maybe that's not in the budget either. Or maybe you're just curious about those around you. This is something you can do if your company won't help you evaluate your core leadership team with you. The very next best thing you can do is just do it for yourself. And you can do a number of things for maybe $100 or less and or maybe, maybe $150 to really truly 
truly get to know you, but there's going to be a lot of benefits to this. And we're going to get into very specific things here. So I know I've kind of been very, I don't want to say vague, but but good, bad, and indifferent is, is a very vague thing, but we're going to dig a lot deeper here. And uh, if you if you can get your company to invest in your team, that's awesome. That would be the most important thing. But if you can't, you have got to invest in yourself. If you're really serious about creating and building your own team, you have to change your mindset to one of discovery and knowing first yourself first and then knowing your team. In today's podcast, we'll talk in a minute about the Myers-Briggs evaluation, the Enneagram number, and something brand new to leadership from the table group called your working genius. And combining all three will give you as the leader a true sense of why you think the way you think and why you do things the way you do them. So don't worry about looking up the best places to get this information. I put all the links in the show notes notes for you. So learn about yourself and get into the mindset of discovering the true strengths of the members of your team. And now back to the show. So as I said earlier, obviously the best thing would be if your entire team, at least your core leadership team, could all take some of the same evaluations and learn about each other. I'll learn about each Enneagram numbers and, and your Myers-Briggs numbers and a couple other things. That would be the best. But the second best thing is you as the leader, as I always say, leaders go first. Even if you have to do this on your own, it is well worth the money to really look at and invest in. So we're going to get a little specific here on some things. So we're going to start with a, the Myers-Briggs evaluation. And uh, I, I happen to get mine from engagingoutcomes.com and Mary Cooper, fabulous trainer. Um, if, if you are looking for that sort of thing, look her up. And again, the link will be in the show notes, but engagingoutcomes.com. So there are eight different categories in the Myers-Briggs, and then they put them in sensing types and intuitive types versus introverts and extroverts. So they start with the extroversion. So people who prefer extroversion tend to focus on the outer world of people and things. Sensing, people who prefer sensing tend to focus on the present and on concrete information gained uh, from their senses. And then thinking, people who prefer thinking tend to base their decisions primarily on logic and objective analysis and cause and effect. And then the fourth one, judging, people who prefer judging tend to, they like planned and organized approach and prefer to have things settled. Introversion are people who focus on the inner world of ideas and impressions. Intuition, people prefer intuition, tend to focus on the future with a view toward patterns and possibilities. And then feeling, people who prefer feeling tend to base their decisions primarily on values and on subjective evaluation of person-centered concerns. And the last one, perceiving. People who prefer perceiving tend to be like a, they like to be flexible and spontaneous approach to life and prefer to keep their options open, uh, which is something I'm not good at at all. I probably would prefer to have things planned out and that is something I definitely need to work on. So you, you do a number of questions, figure all this out. Many of you are very familiar with it. So I'm an ISTJ. So that one is the, the definition of that, and there's there's all kinds of multiple combinations if you haven't taken this. It really kind of narrows down why you react to things, what you prefer, all those things. So my definition of an ISTJ, so that is introversion, sensing, it is thinking, and judging. So I don't know if it's Good or bad, it's just who I am. So it says, quiet, serious, earn success by thoroughness and dependability, practical, matter-of-fact, realistic, and responsible. Uh, I decide logically 
what should be done and work toward it steadily, regardless of distractions. Take pleasures in making everything orderly and organized and uh, their, in their work, their home, their life, values, tradition, and loyalty. So that probably makes me sound like I'm very boring, uh, actually, and very, uh, I, I like to think I'm um, spontaneous, but I, I probably am not. Even in things like I told you before, I'm a, I've got a private pilot's license, which a lot of people wouldn't do, the fear of flying or fear of flying their own little airplane. And I'll tell you, in a small little plane, you feel every little wind bump that you don't feel in the big planes. But then on the other hand, when it comes to piloting, there is so much planning that goes into each flight that that kind of makes sense of who I am. So it really categorizes me in a certain way of how I approach things. And once I really discover that, because again, as a leader, you wear many, many, many hats. So how do you be different things? You got to rally your team. You got to come up with new ideas. And if this describes you, if you're an ISTJ, you're more orderly. You like to plan. You like things where they go. We have a, in one company, uh, we had a procedures guide and I used to always joke, there should be a final chapter that says we do the same stuff every week because we do. And then we still struggle to do some things. And it's just, you know, mind boggling because if we do the same things every week, why can't we just do them? It's just kind of a, a sense into that. Now, second thing and something that's really come to the forefront, even though it's, it's actually quite old, Enneagrams have been around many, many, many years. But right now they're really, I don't know what you want to call it. I hate to say it's a fad. It's a new thing. It's a cool thing or any of those things. But it is something people are talking more about. And it is another way to really understand your style of how you do the things you do. So basically in the Enneagram, there's nine main styles and then there's all kinds of subset styles that kind of compliment. I got mine from um, Ian Morgan Cron's website. And again, the link will be in the show notes. You don't need to write it down or look it up just yet. If you go to the show notes, it'll be there. So I did mine. And so of the nine main styles, number one is strict perfectionist. And this is uh, ones who are about improvement and the right action, ensuring things are done correctly. They are principled with a clear sense of right and wrong and may seem idealistic, self-righteous, or judgmental. They organize their world, values, and facts, precision, and clarity, working hard to avoid mistakes. Their gift is discernment, evaluating, and knowing what is right. Man, some of that doesn't <laughs> judgmental. Ooh. Um, so number two, considerate helper. Uh, twos just want to meet others' needs in a helpful, supportive way. Warm, giving, and people-oriented. They seek affection from their relationships and may be sensitive and angry if they feel unappreciated. They may over-involve themselves in others' lives, risk being manipulative, and develop challenge. Uh, their development challenge is to give unconditionally and to nurture themselves as well well as others. And I have seen many people that work like that where they help everybody but themselves. And that's probably why they get frustrated when they feel unappreciated because they spend all their time helping others. And uh, when the recognition isn't there, it's tough. And number two, many leaders fall into that category because by definition, well, if you're a leader, not a manager, there's the two different things. You know, you're leading, you're constantly serving others. And you can easily fall on that. Number three, competitive achiever. Threes are doers and tend to be practical, task-oriented uh, on a project. And they, they also have a polished persona or image. They are competitive, will make sacrifices to achieve their goals and to, to appear to be successful. Uh, they risk becoming overstretched or workaholic and may result to deception or whatever they got to do to win. Uh, at higher integration, they work towards self-acceptance and a authentic influence connecting heart and hand so that's that's your 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 typical doer 
that is better than everybody else. And what's interesting about that one, so oftentimes you think like about a sales team and you get the best salesperson because they just outwork everybody. And so a leadership position becomes open. So they're given this leadership position and uh, really understand that that's about humans. It's about leading other people. And because they were a great doer, a lot of times they think they could be a good leader and those are two different things. And then that leader, be- that doer becomes a leader and they don't understand why everybody doesn't do what they do. And they get really frustrated. So that's uh, intense creative number four for search for meaning depth authenticity they are emotionally sensitive and attuned to their environment creative and uh, expressive as individuals they seem emotionally moody dramatic focusing on what is lacking in their lives integrate fours get fours get in touch with their inner creative voice but are able to separate their identity and their emotion. Number five, quiet specialist. When I read this, I thought this is like a spy or something. But um, fives are private individuals with an active mental life, observing and exploring how the world works. They struggle to share thoughts and feelings and may seem socially awkward or disinterested. And those are two different things, socially awkward and disinterested, because most socially awkward people would like to be connected. At lower integration, fives may be withdrawn and uh, aggressively defend their isolation. At higher integration, they are intellectual pioneers bringing their perspective wisdom unselfconsciously. Number six, the loyal skeptic. Six is easily... Tune into the potential danger and risk, acting on a sense of anxiety and think in skeptical ways. They value trust, responsibility, and loyalty and need to feel they are safe and they belong. At lower integration, they may be paranoid, reactive, insecure as loyalty turns into dependency and oversensitivity. At higher integration, they're self-reliant, grounded. Six gives confidence to those around them. They are resiliently coping with risk. Number seven, enthusiastic visionary. Seven seek variety, stimulation, and fun. Tackling challenges with optimism and engaging with life in a future-oriented way. As team members, they bring creativity, energy, and optimism. They, they seem distracted, distracted, hedonistic, insensitive, or irresponsible to others. Sevens are often unhappy but deny this, escaping into hyperactivity and impulse pleasure-seeking. At higher integration, they are present and finding joy within. You know, that number seven kind of sounds like a lot of people on social media who just want to be famous really for no reason whatsoever. And it's just me being a little pessimistic. Number eight, active controller. Eight are forces with nature with a strong presence and personality that values being in control. They are guarded but caring, protective of those around them as they mask their any vulnerability with a tough, no-nonsense exterior. So I'm guessing uh, Clint Eastwood was a number eight. Uh, number nine, adaptive peacemaker. Nines are diplomatic and attuned to the ideas of others as and often as facilitators or mediators in groups form the glue between people and they are uh, friendly, grounded, and stable in their demeanor. They struggle to connect with their own point of view or say no and often avoid high integration. They are independent and self-respecting, acting with self-awareness and autonomy. So like I said, you know, my last podcast, I talked about one manager who constantly ran around to try to make everybody happy rather than address their behaviors. And then it kind of sounds like a lot like that adaptive peacemaker. So my personal number, uh, my score was a five. I was a quiet specialist in when you think about what I said as being an ISTG, ISTJ in the Myers-Briggs and a number five, there's a lot of similarities there of, of how I am. Uh, and again, I got this from uh, Ian Morgan Cron, 
Enneagram.com. Really probably the best, most thorough Enneagram explanations and tests that I have seen. There, there, there's a lot to learn there. And then finally, if you're a, a fan of the table group, which is Patrick Lencioni, the five dysfunctions of a team, how to be an ideal team player. And so this is called the working genius. So they came up with six types of working genius. So this is what, what they're really saying is this is the gifts you bring to work with you. And again, another way of looking at what your, 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 I guess, for lack of a better term, really your God-given talent of what you're good at. But it also exposes what you're not good at. But within these six types of geniuses, though, these are kind of, if you really think about it, the leadership hats that you have to wear. These are all things that you, you know, need to do, but you may not enjoy. You may not be good at them. So the six types of genius are the genius of wonder, which is the natural gift of pondering the possibility of greater potential and opportunity in a given situation. The genius of invention, natural gift of creating original or novel ideas and solutions. The genius of discernment, the natural gift of intuitive, being intuitive is what what I, you know, I, I can't say the other word. And instinctively evaluating ideas and situations. The genius of galvanizing. The natural gift of rallying, inspiring, and organizing others to take action. The genius of enablement. The natural gift of providing encouragement and assistance for an idea or project. And lastly, the genius of tenacity. And this is the natural gift of pushing projects or tasks to completion to achieve results. So the working genius, and you can go to workinggenius.com and take this. This is really cheap. So I think it was only 25 bucks. And, but this is really work-related. And everything I just listed is something as a leader you got to do. I mean, you think of something of, of enablement, the encouragement, always providing feedback galvanizing. Every one of us as a leader want to think that we're galvanizing, that we rally the troops, that we inspire others. But if that's not really our gift, we really don't enjoy that. So, so, but all of these, you can see these different hats, thinking about the gift of wonder, of pondering possibilities, invention, creating, and so on. Now, my personal best score was discernment, the natural gift of being intuitive and instinctive and evaluating ideas and situations. And if you think about that, that also aligns with being a five on the Enneagram and my ISTJ and the Myers-Briggs. There's a pattern here of who I am, how I think. But here's what's important. And, and you have to really, when you're looking at these things, just like you're looking at the behaviors of your of your team, is why are they like that? And I don't mean like, why are they like that? I mean, like, why? Like really question, why are they like that? Why are you like the way you are? Where are you weak at? So you know exactly where you need to improve. So this really exposes a lot of different things, but it really shows a pattern of what I'm good at, how I think, why I think the way I do. And I couldn't tell you why I think that or how I got here, I guess is what I should say. But the fact is, this is who I am. But if I want to be an effective leader, I've got to recognize those places that maybe I'm not so good at, or if nothing else, rally people around me that complement who I am. And when you talk about diversity of thought, this is really what you want. I mean, if you had a whole team of Enneagram fives, how well would that go? Or if, if on the six working geniuses, if everybody had discernment like I had, but nobody had wonder, you know, it just, you would never have a really good thought out way of handling things. So I want to end this the way I started it with. Obviously, the best thing is, is if you're 
company or if you're an entrepreneur or you're a small business and you want to get your whole team evaluated to really figure each other out, that would be the best. But if you can't do that, you got to start with you. And there's a lot of benefits to this. So even if you can't get your team to do all these assessments, just learning about yourself will propel your team forward because the team, remember the team gravitates to your style of leadership, right? So they're already probably gravitating to whoever you are, whatever your Enneagram number is, your Myers-Briggs and your working genius. But um, by, by learning what you're not good at, what you need to work on, you can really start to diversify just you and lead in different areas and say, you know what? I'm not... not really good at enablement. So I need to give more feedback. I need to give more praise, things like that. The second benefit is when you share with your team what you discovered about yourself, you build a stronger connection with them because you can't fake it. We've always talked about, I'm a leader. You're always on stage. You're always in a fishbowl. Everybody can see you. Well, you can't hide who you are. So let's say you take this this examination. You don't like the answer. You think, I don't want to be known as that. I wouldn't want to be known in the Enneagram numbers. I don't think I'd want to be known as an eight or a nine, really. I think there are times when you need to be an eight or a nine, but I wouldn't want to be an eight or a nine all the time. So you can't hide that. They understand more about you and they want to hear more. I mean, the more you talk about it, they might even be interested enough to take some of these assessments on their own. Like I said, the Working Genius Assessment at WorkingGenius.com was only 25 bucks. And if nothing else, it starts a great conversation about learning about ourselves that way. And a final benefit is you start to go down the road of understanding. You start thinking about what does make people tick. As you complete multiple assessments of yourself, you start to develop a skill set just for that. The more you talk about the nine layers, not layers, but you know, the nine different styles of the Enneagram and get more intimate with them, you start managing that way. You start thinking that way. You continue, as you continuously review them, you can start seeing some of these things in some of your people. Now, you might not be 100% accurate, but it will start that discovery of why they behave the way they do, what motivates them, what turns them off, where do they excel, be like, or, or, or there's actually some things that work that would, they would rather be on fear factor. Like I said, you know, the public speaking seems to be the number one thing. The more you discover self-discovery, the more you will change as a leader. The more your behavior antenna works, how you can develop your team and really get your people you know, where they are most effective. So the team is most effective. Doesn't mean you change job classes, but when a particular thing comes up, you can say, man, Bill is really great at this. And Beth is awesome at that. And you know, you can really get your people where they need to be. And that would really lower your frustration level about behaviors when you're constantly having conversations about Enneagrams and working geniuses. Team even becomes more self-governing with their behaviors. And the untapped potential at all levels is something you can really get excited about when you think about really tapping into what geniuses people bring to work. But remember, leaders go first. It starts with you. So learn your why and about your behaviors and then pass it on. So what did we learn today? How did you grow just a little bit? Or more importantly, how can you help someone else grow? That's the whole point of Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, hit that subscribe button. Tell all your colleagues and friends and neighbors all about the show. Give us comments, feedback, things like that. We will grow together and we will see you next week on the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast.